everyone, it's Arnold with One Welcome. I hope you've been safe and well and doing okay. Um, I myself, I actually decided to move to Los Angeles. Um, the reason why I mention that is because you'll see a noticeable drop in the sound quality on my end, uh, especially during these interviews, because these were all recorded maybe in the last three, four weeks, almost a month. And um, that's just when I was getting settled in and I didn't have any furniture. So the sound is horrible <laughs> and I apologize for that. But um, got around six, seven episodes all recorded and um, it wasn't planned, but it just so happens that it's really revolving around beverages and, and CPG, like consumer packaged goods. Uh, and founders, not a lot of them are chefs. I, I don't have a chef this, the next few episodes. They're all, um, they've started all their businesses or founders. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but for example, today, um, we're sitting down with Claire, who is the owner of a bar in Crown Heights that I've found very recently through the introduction of, um, my good friends, Dan and Nancy, who took me there. And uh, it's, it was a wonderful experience. She has a really great outside patio situation going on. But even more so than that, I think that Claire has been um, featured on a lot of interviews and media about sustainability. Um, so of course, we're going to touch on that. But even more so than just the sustainability, sustainability aspect, I was really curious to see how she became a bar owner, um, her journey, of course. And uh, she made a really big announcement even before indoor dining came back, which was that she wouldn't be opening for indoor dining anytime soon. And she actually converted the space into a retail space. So that's, uh, that's been in the works for her. So in any case, I'm really excited to finally share the conversation I had with Claire um, a couple weeks ago. So mind you, during the time of this recording, we didn't know when indoor dining was coming back and so on and so forth. So please keep that in mind as you tune in, but um, hope you enjoy the conversation I had with Claire. So I am, um, I'm from Houston, Texas, originally. I, um, well, kind of all over Texas and some Louisiana, but Houston is the place that I call my home for the most part. Um, it's where I spent like, um, a lot of my early twenties and young adult life and, um, started working in restaurants there, um, kind of by happenstance, just, you know, I was working in museums and art galleries and doing the whole, um, unpaid internship circuit. And, um, you know, wanted to take a break from, from that. And I just graduated and, um, so I actually came to like service industry kind of like after my college days and, um, just looking to take a break from, and, you know, reconfigure what I was doing. And, um, the first place I worked at had like an amazing cocktail program and I kind of fell in love with it and begged my way from like server to being behind the bar as a bar back and then eventually bartender and then eventually bar manager there. Um, yeah. And Houston, even though it's such a large city um, and it's so spread out um, really at that time, this is like the late two thousands. It was this really bustling kind of emerging food scene and growing up in Houston, there weren't 
it, it isn't like it is now where if at least in my eyes, it wasn't like people were like actively moving to Houston. So the people that lived there and stayed there were like really working hard to make it this amazing place that it eventually, that it was then. Um, but to kind of like show that to the rest of the world. And, um, and I was very part to, uh, proud to be a part of that, but also wanted to kind of expand my horizons and just get a, um, a greater context, like kind of outside of the echo chamber that we had to some degree created in Houston um, and particularly in cocktails. And so I ended up moving to San Francisco on a whim and um, made the decision, got on a plane like a few days later, and then I lived in San Francisco, <laughs> uh, which are like, um, you know, I'd love to say that's something I'd be able to do now as well. But um, definitely one of those like mid early mid twenties moments of <laughs> finding yourself, and um, I had the great fortune to work at a lot of amazing cocktail bars in San Francisco, um, and um, that were like true blue cocktail bars. But I kept find, finding my way back to working in more of a restaurant setting with a um, high quality cocktail program. Um, I, I really love like that style of hospitality and I love food. I love serving food and telling the story of food along with my cocktails. And um, yeah, and I, I, I did worked in some restaurants there and then ended up doing a lot of consulting for fancy chef types out, out West. And, um, you know, eventually wanted to open my own place and San Francisco is um, exactly as people describe it very um, <laughs> expensive and, um, and it was just I found it very cost prohibitive to do what I wanted to do and so um, I ended up moving out to New York a few years ago and with the goal of opening my own place and that's how we got to where we are today. Um, I opened Hunky Dory uh, January 1st, um, 2019. Um, so we just celebrated our one year anniversary right before we closed for COVID. And uh, we're in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. And um, before pre-COVID, we were an all day bar and restaurant open 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. So 18 hours a day, very long days for myself in particular. And yeah, and um, now we, obviously everything's different, but um, yeah, and that's kind of the gist of it. Um, you know, my family is, my mother's Filipino, and um, and my, and I grew up in kind of this Filipino household, and um, even though the rest of our family is still in the Philippines, and um, that's definitely something that I have kind of carried with me in terms of how I take care of others. And, um, and yeah, and my, my brother is our, is, is in Austin, Texas, and he runs a cocktail bar now randomly. Uh, well, not actually not randomly, but, um, through, I pulled some favors when he was a young, young man and, now he's also um, now he's also part of the the cool bartending scene of cocktails in the United States. So probably much to my parents' uh, chagrin, but um, yeah, and that's but those, so that's my family. And that's kind of how I got to New York, and 
and yeah, now it's COVID and who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So <laughs> I can, I can tell already. Cause, uh, when I was looking you up, you, you had done a few podcasts before I can already, I can already tell that this is your first radio. Cause like, you're just, you're just, you answered a lot of the, a lot of the questions. Sorry. I had. Like, no, 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 don't be sorry. I'm like, this I'm a is, rambler. No, 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 not at all. I'm like, this is so refreshing. I can just kind of sit back and relax. <laughs> I'm a rambler and I just took my first big swig of coffee for today and it's gone straight to my brain. <laughs> Amazing. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you did that right before. No, it's good. Yeah. So I had a few questions. So one is, um, so it's the four of you and your family. Did, are your, did your parents work in hospitality? I'm just, it's just so funny no. that you and your brother are working in, in the cocktail I world. know. Um, my mom is um, a nurse and um, like a lot of, um, a significant amount of Filipino Americans um, or Filipinos that are here now, she came over as a nurse and she's director of ICU at a hospital. So she's in it right now. And then um, my dad worked in radio. Um, so I have a, I have a very... Um, like kind of nostalgic, um, intimate connection with radio in general. Something like, you know, when we watched sports in my house, like it was always the TV volume down and the radio up along with the TV. And I'm like, I'm like just like, I love oral histories and things like that too. But nope, we're the first hospitality folks. And then you said you moved to New York with the sole goal and purpose of opening your own bar someday. But in terms of opening and wanting to open your own place, did, did that formulate when you were in San Francisco? Um, it definitely did. Um, you know, there's a lot of, for bartenders specifically, there's a few different kind of typical career trajectories. Um, you know, there's like the lifelong bartender um, there's the bar restaurant owner. Um, some people move into like working for brands. Um, there's, um, I've always had this weird dream of working in like corporate hotel world, um, <laughs> which I know sounds so bizarre to think about, but, uh, it's like kind of like the only thing I haven't done in this industry. And, um, so I'm just like kind of really curious about it, but, um, yeah. So I, yeah, I definitely, it was, it, for me, it, it felt like the right move. And so I set all, you know, everything, all goals on that and um, just started plotting. Mm, in terms of the, the name, which I, I Googled, right? Because I didn't know that it was, this was actually a term. It is right. Like hunky dory apparently means um, like fine going well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. I don't know why I didn't know that. Maybe <laughs> I have, I have gaps of education cause I moved to Korea at some, uh, for, for high school. So my, my, I obviously speak English, but then I feel like I'm, I'm kind of out of touch with terms. So is this, is that a term that people use? Like hunky, how do you use it in a sentence? Like hunky dory? Um, well maybe it's something that's more, um, I love the name used in like the South, um, oh, where I'm okay. from maybe. Um, cause we definitely have like a very, uh, different way of talking, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it means, you know, we even like on some of our branded materials here, it's like our slogan is fine. all fine all the time. And, um, 
you know, I wanted it to, it's also a name of a David Bowie album, which gets referenced a lot with us, my second favorite Bowie album. But um, we, you know, I wanted it something to kind of sound light and easy and that would evoke like what the space and our offerings were. Um, we're, you know, it's a very brightly painted space with lots of color and lots of sunlight via the front windows and the skylights and I think our food and our drink is serious but fairly playful and yeah and so I just wanted something that um that evoked that but also had like a nice uh, rhythm to it when you said um and made you smile a little bit when you heard it and I have like when I when I start like you know, and I, especially when I'm like calling like places like utilities or, you know, like setting up accounts with like these weird like trash contractors and like pest control and things like that. And I tell people to name, they always start cracking up and they're like that. <laughs> I all get responses like, that's silly. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'll take that. Silly, silly can be good, I think. <laughs> No, but it's refreshing. You know, it's so refreshing. And I think you said this on another podcast where a, a typical New York City bar, first of all, they're not really ran by women. Let's, let's get to that first. But second, they're all dark and dingy and speakeasy-esque and unmarked and all, all of the above, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It, it's just so refreshing to come across a bar that isn't like that because from my personal experience, that could go very wrong in so many ways. I think a lot of these bars in New York City, whether they're good or not, uh, I think for me, it comes down to hospitality and, and, and pe- making people feel a certain way, right? And they come off pretentious to me, I have to be honest. So when I went to your bar with Dan and Nancy, I, I, I was like, I, I that this was probably like the first time in a long time where I felt very relaxed about going to like a nice bar, right? Because I had heard about your bar because most bars, I, I don't know what it is. I just feel like everyone's judging me based on my cocktail order. Um, you know <laughs> well, what I we mean? are. We are judging I mean, you. We totally are. <laughs> but at least it seems like you're not. Whereas other no. places are like blatantly judging me. I'm like making, making these comments. No, but I, I just, I just, I just had a great experience. And obviously it wasn't the full experience because uh, COVID, but um, it, it was, it was a great first impression. But well, so you've been you. in business for a little over a year. Uh of this year and this is the first time you're a business owner which I'm sure you have a lot to say in terms of opening your own bar but also navigating through this pandemic so um, I mean what, what were your earliest challenges and, and and kind of take me through a little bit I guess leading up to COVID what it was like um well you know um well leading up to COVID <laughs> so many that first year that we were open um you know, I, I'm, I was just overworked and overstressed and, um, and very tired. <laughs> I'll say that that's kind of the theme of 2019. And, um, you know, there were just different factors. Like we, we were like busy ish, but, um, definitely like with a smaller storefront, um, like, square footage across the front of our store um you know we weren't as busy as I wanted needed us to be like throughout all the multiple hours that we were open so 
um, to be quite frank, it's like we were going into year two, like feeling really good and about um, kind of establishing ourselves in the neighborhood and having this great base of regulars and um, hopefully like meeting and um, just having more guests come through the door um, to build on top of that momentum. Um, and then, um, you know, we, I didn't, I guess I kind of just didn't really, I'd, I've only lived in New York for about two years before we opened. And I, I guess I just didn't really understand like the ebbs and flows of the year here, um, especially in a neighborhood that isn't um, built on tourism and, it, and can't really rely on that at, at all. Um, and for a lot of, and for that very reason, it's why Crown Heights is very special and amazing to me, but it also <laughs> makes business very hard um, during the summer when New Yorkers do that thing where they leave for the summer and they're always out of town every weekend or they're at the beach. Um, it just empties out. And so I wasn't expecting us to be so dead during the summer compared to the other months. Um, um, so that was a big challenge and obviously like affected, um, like rippled out from there. But um, I think, you know, we adjusted and again, we're looking forward to year two um, to, you know, kind of take those learnings but and grow from there. But um, I think the biggest thing for me was just, I think like, personally kind of you know I've always been a really hard worker and I've you know when I was doing a lot of consulting there would be times where I was like opening three places at once and that's a I mean opening one place even as a consultant is a lot of work and you know I was able to juggle all of that stuff and I definitely have like this um high capacity for for workload and like a passion for working so it makes it easy um but and i don't i want to say this like without like intentionally or glorifying like the what is kind of typical about like hospitality and working in restaurants which is like long hours and underpaid work and you know, getting mentally and physically and emotionally um, exhausted. Like that's something I don't glorify and I don't think there's any merit in, in upholding that kind of myth about like grit in our industry. But, um, but it is something that I, I do lean into and almost as a coping mechanism, like even now during COVID, I'm like, like my way of getting through this is to just work, work. And that's how I feel at ease. Um, but I would say during that first year, I, I like hit the wall in a lot of ways. And I, you know, I definitely had some kind of had to come to terms with like actually what my limits were in terms of emotional, physical and mental health um, and how much I could carry as as somebody that was responsible for a, a business and um, the livelihoods of several people under me, and so that was the hardest part. I would of of 2019. 
Um, little did I know that life would only get harder. <laughs> I, I really thought like going into 2020, like second year, like I'm going to like, you know, hire more staff. And so I can ease up here and take care of myself and not, not, you know, step away from the business or coast by any means, but just redirect my energy in like ways that were more constructive for the business and for my personal well-being. And then, and then like you said, COVID. <laughs> um, and so it, it's been different than I imagined, but, um, you know, still trying to make sure we're learning and adapting as much as we were in our first year as we are in these very tumultuous times. Right. I mean, the other thing too, right, is when we talk about Huggy Dory or, or even yourself, a quick Google search and you're always tied to um, topics of sustainability and minimizing waste, which I think are really amazing things that I, I definitely want to touch on. So for you, I, I want to dig a little bit into how you approach that. Like, how do you minimize waste in, in creative, productive ways? And what are some maybe like actionable and approachable methods that you um, employ at, at your bar? Sure. Um, so um, I've mentioned this elsewhere, but I think a lot of people kind of dig into sustainability, um, like either through like, you know, the fight against plastic straws or food waste and things like that. And it, um, it's really great to have those access points for where people feel passionate. But for myself, um, you know, to some degree, some of that was instilled in me through working over the years with really good chefs that um, already valued like food waste and farm to table and um, things like that in general. But um, my access point was um, really focused on water conservation. And um, from there, I started thinking a lot more about carbon footprint and just all the like different elements of waste and um and how bars and restaurants how much waste we put out right because you can't really talk about sustainability um or being less wasteful unless you have kind of an understanding of the actual measurements of waste that we're we're doing um we're producing and um and so, yeah, we like I kind of try to think about it in all these different facets, but then also um, for myself, um, you know, one of the biggest things as a as an owner or a manager that we can do in our industry is really use that lens of sustainability to think about how we purchase, um, like whether that's produce or um, the physical materials like, you know, like straws or paper bags and things like that. And I always wanted to make sure that we were doing that kind of through an intersectional sustainability lens. And so making sure that we're not just buying, um, great spices, but we're also buying like spices that are, um, maybe like a, from a woman owned company that, um, that champions organic practices as well. And um, so, yeah, we kind of try to do it all, um, <laughs> which was um, in some ways means we, it feels sometimes like we're doing too little, but um, I always, I always tell people to like, just pick a few things each month 
to try to tackle. And then by the end of the year, you have like a whole list of, of, of waste um, that you have either addressed or that you've set up systems to eliminate. Um, and, and so, and that really adds up all those little, those little goals because it's very daunting if you try to like think about it um, try to do it all at once. And it's not very, like, I'm a, I, like I said, I got my degree in art history and I'm a bartender. I'm not a, I'm not a, um, ecologist. I'm not a, <laughs> um, an expert in climate change. And so, um, for myself, even I had to like really try to, you know, like reach out to people that were experts to make sure that, um, you know, I had the right facts in front of me um, to make sure I was making the right decisions. And, and some of that stuff isn't very, isn't very like fun to talk about. Like when guests come in and they're like, oh, I heard you're a sustainable bar, like, or you do sustainability stuff with tell me a few things. I'm like, oh, well, these light bulbs are LED. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and these faucets have like um, restrictors on it. So they flow with less water. Um, those aren't necessarily like the, the fun things that people like to hear about. But we do try to like, you know, still make sure that we're doing those things because they do matter um, whether it is like changing your light bulbs out to LED or fixing leaks um, you'd be amazed like how much water goes down the drain from like one leak and um, so there's all those little things those maintenance things that are less glamorous um, to talk about but really do add up um, in your bars and restaurants especially you know, not just like the feel good, um, um, feel good aspect of it, but also like really affect your utilities and things like that. So you're, you know, you're actually saving money from doing them. And then there's like the more fun stuff that everybody likes to hear about, which is like, you know, utilizing food waste and how we partner with our community gardens and, um, even for some reason, people love talking about straws, uh, <laughs> even though I'm like so utterly bored by that conversation, but it's uh, still, again, a worthwhile one to have and, um, and a great small like guest facing step. And, you know, people always talk about sustainability and they're like, does it really matter? Like what one bar does or one person does? And, you know, I'm like, well, a few people decided straws were plastic straws were bad. And now however many years later, not even that many years later, it's like frowned upon to have plastic straws in your establishment. And um, like even guests will, if I offer them a straw, they're like, well, what is it made of? Like they're the ones policing me. And <laughs> I'm like, I still, you know, I was leading this conversation, so don't even. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, you know, we, it's just everything from purchasing to how we use our ingredients. Um, you know, just thinking about all these different aspects and also like what's important to us in terms of our location, because maybe some of these things are a higher priority here in New York 
versus maybe being in San Francisco versus being in Houston. Um, and it's really just, I don't like people really want like a silver bullet to be like, how can I be a zero waste bar and restaurant? And I'm like, you can't, that's not a thing. Um, but you can be better. Um, and, but that is also very specific to your space and your resources and your time and your, you know, money that you want to put into it. So um, it's all, it's all over the place. Um, and hopefully there's more people every day trying to do it because the more there is, the more people will share those stories and people can find their own path to be more sustainable um, by hearing those different stories. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, being sustainable is a, is a normalized thing and it's not just the, a gimmick because you know a lot of a lot of places use that word very loosely and mm -hmm. to your point i think it's a combination of small actions that add up to becoming sustainable as well it's not just like this one you know project or one thing that you do that makes it sustainable oh like i'm i'm you know what is it lead certified like, oh i'm like lead certified building now i'm sustainable no it's like it's a it's just a culmination of small things so i'm glad you touched on that uh the the other thing i wanted to ask you about is because I now learned that your mom um, works on the front lines, you made a pretty powerful statement that even if indoor dining was to return this year, that you wouldn't open, right? Yes, yeah. Does that, does that um, definitely factor into your decision? Because maybe you've had conversations with your mom too about you know, what, 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 what she's seen and what she's going through as well or... Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I have such close connections and like kind of all over the country, um, the bartending community, especially in cocktails is very close. Um, there's a close network of us and nationally, but particularly in San Francisco and Houston, I've been keeping tabs with my friends and hearing about what they're going through. But, and of course I talk to my mom quite a bit and I mean, like actually hearing what's happening is pretty, is really hard and disheartening. But I mean, even aside from like the firsthand stories from my family and friends, it's, there's, there's just like the facts are on the table and uh, like the cities that are opening with indoor dining are the ones having the surges. Um, and, you know, there is, now, we have a, a, a pretty decent sized restaurant. We're about um, a little under 60 seats and even and, and not too cramped at all. But it just like I would not feel comfortable with people taking off their masks in this space. Um, it doesn't feel right to have my employees um, deal with that. Um, and it also doesn't feel right to have my community like kind of have like have them like contribute to that and um any upswell in cases and and so yeah I made the decision to close our dining room um you know I said it would be through the winter and now it feels like it won't we won't reopen till at least 2022 unless something happens um and we're, we're also really, you know, I'm 
kind of privilege to be able to make that decision because we've had, um, we have this huge patio space that we've been able to use in the last two months. And, um, and it's definitely, um, like helped us kind of weather this initial storm, but also makes it feel feasible to, um, be able to make that call to not have indoor dining for next year because the outdoor space has been so successful for us. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I don't like, honestly, if I could, we would be closed forever. <laughs> like if I could just put pause on all of this and like my employees would be fine with like pay from somewhere and my rent would be put on pause. Like I would just close, but I can't. And, um, much like, you know, traditional models of capitalism, this is the, this is what I'm being forced to endure and be a part of. And, and so we're open, um, but we, you know, with that, with not opening the dining room, we are trying to be creative with the space as much as possible. So um, we have converted it into a retail space, which will open in about a week or two. Um, and, you know, with retail, we don't have to worry about people taking their masks off um, and things like that. And we don't have to have um, employees directly interacting with guests as much as they would if they were serving them at their table. And so, yeah, we've, we're turned, we took out the booths. It looks like an actual store inside right now. It's pretty wild. Um, we, and I'm like, all I do with my time now is like try to find cool, creative things to stock it. Um, you know, that's not just your standard grocery store or kind of home goods store fair, but like stuff that keeps building upon our identity here at, at Hunky Dory, which is um, a little weird, a little different, but kind of cool. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like fun, but it's also exhausting <laughs> to like, right now I'm looking at like, um, like happy birthday cards and greeting cards. And because um, we will in a couple, um, starting I think on Monday, we will be a, um, a reseller of USPS stamps, um, which I'm very excited about. Uh, so um, you can buy your stamps for Hunky Dory and help contribute to um, saving the USPS. And so I want to make sure, though, that we have things that you can put stamps on. Uh, <laughs> it's like, this is very typical of me. I'm like, I got stamps. I'm like, oh, now shoot, I forgot that second part. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So it's going to be, um, I, I think I also read in my kind of a, a couple books in there, too, in your store. It'll be, um, that's actually the hardest part right now is that it's going to be focused on cookbooks and beverage books. Um but within that, more so like telling the story and of food and the diaspora of food and people and the context of food. Um, and which is, this is actually something that I've been, I was looking at retail spaces, commercial spaces for right before COVID, because um, it's been a long-term dream of mine. And 
now we're just we're doing it here um so it's not yeah it's not a pivot that's like too um too much out of our um out of our realm um but um yeah it'll be lots of cookbooks and um yeah i just want to like you know not the typical like bobby flay and tyler florence um bookshelves that line most stores shelves but you know people like the real like people telling the stories of their food or their interpretation of their culture's food and um and yeah and it's just like i'm going like working with all these booksellers now and um, I have to say it's not easy <laughs> to go through their websites. I'm like, you guys need a better system for this. Cause this is very, very hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, um, it's, it's really exciting. And as a bonus for the staff, they all get to buy books at cost now. Um, any, yeah. So we'll be the most well-read group of, restaurant bar workers in new york <laughs> that's amazing um wow that's crazy right in just a matter of a little over a year you've already had to make these changes and everything's been so accelerated because of what we're going through yes yeah we are definitely like you know i felt like i've always been pretty well tempered about decisions and responding to different things in the business because um, it can get very dangerous if you are always trying to like change in response to something. Um, and I've worked for operators like that before where they're like, Oh, the burger's not selling this week. We have to change it. And, and it's like not a great environment for the staff. And, um, but you know, so I've always tried not to do that, but now it's like every day is reinventing the wheel and trying to figure out what works and what's safest and what's, um, cause it's like the clock is ticking on outdoor dining and we don't know how it'll, how, if it'll be extended past, um, the deadline right now of October 31st. And, you know, it's not even like what the government allows us to do. It's also dependent on the weather. So we really have to like make these really hard calls to, to adapt with, the day-to-day challenges right now. Yeah. I mean, one of the calls that you made, I'm sure that was tough or maybe it wasn't, but is changing your compensation model for your employees, right? So you've moved to a no tipping policy for your team. Um, yeah. Which is, I feel like it's just another podcast episode, but, <laughs> but tell me a little bit about that, why you decided to do that and maybe even what you think, how, how your staff is responding to that change. The wage disparity between front of house and back of house is something that has always bothered me, um, even as a tipped employee over the last decade that I've worked in restaurants. And, um, and even more so as somebody that's like doing the payroll and signing the paychecks and like seeing what people are taking home um, in New York, even like one of the most expensive cities in the country. And, um, you know, it's just never sat right with me, but it's also been one of those things that 
is like, well, that has to come from, you know, greater legislative change and, um, you know, it has to be everybody making that change. We wouldn't survive as one single business trying to stand up to it. And I've actually worked in places in the Bay Area where we did try to institute some of those changes and had to like, we lost staff and had to revert. And so I've always kind of been a little bit um, critical of this, the systems that we exist in, but also hesitant to and like be bold about about it. And you know, and especially during COVID when we had to let go of our staff, kind of just trying to understand like how as a business owner, like what did I contribute contribute and what did I not contribute to helping my employees like have a better safety net for themselves in a time of crisis not that anybody could have predicted this but um, you know this isn't the first time crisis has hit New York um, or the industry um, there's we had a huge economic collapse in the late 2000s and Hurricane Sandy hit New York and shut down quite a few businesses and so it's it's a little bit to some obviously not to t- not to the degree of a global pandemic but to to some degree like why haven't we as an industry really thought about like what these safety nets could look like for our employees and and for our businesses and so just kind of reflecting on that but then also um, in light of um, more like social issues um, and this civil rights movement and Black Lives Matter, just also trying to reflect on what my role is in my community, what our business's role is as gentrifiers in our community, and also our role as participants in our industry as a whole and how we uphold and um, how we uphold like those historically oppressive standards in our industry. And yeah, I just said enough. (laughs) Um, And it was, you know, there's so much that's out of my control right now, like the pandemic and the weather and, and, but there are a few things that are in my control. And um, so I just decided if uh, a pandemic was gonna, you know, wipe away my business that I was going to obviously fight for it, but I was going to do it in the way that felt like it represented my, my values. And that meant um, doing away with a system that I believe um, upholds white supremacist values that I believe um, causes a huge disparity in and inequity between our front of house and our back of house staff. Um, and also uh, reinforces power dynamics that put our staff at risk often because you're basically asking them to make the choice to um, either address like certain issues that might be putting them um, at risk or um, making them unsafe, whether that's like sexual harassment or um, 
or some other sort of manifestation of violence, um, asking them to choose between standing up for themselves or calling attention to it, and then, or between them taking home a paycheck, um, a livable paycheck. And not that those are things that they necessarily have to worry about here in this space because I give our staff a lot of agency and I'm, I will always back them no matter what. And they know that. Um, and we have systems of accountability, um, even for the, our guests that come in here, but, um, but that's not true everywhere else. And, and so as a person that's aware of that, and as a business person, that's aware of the fact that even though our staff might have it like really good here in terms of what they're able to, what they have to deal with and what they don't have to deal with. Um, and that not being true elsewhere, like I do feel a responsibility to, to kind of set an example, even though I'm just a tiny business in the grand scheme of things. And I don't know who is, would be listening to me in, in the world, but um you know, it starts again with those smaller businesses kind of stepping up. If we're going to sit around and wait for legislation to be passed or we're going to sit around and wait for conglomerates like McDonald's and um, large restaurant groups to pass things that are ultimately going to cut into their bottom line, then we're going to be waiting around forever. And... And so I just, yeah, I made that decision and, um, and our staff responded really well. I gave them plenty of time to think about what is right for them. And, uh, and you know, to some made a point to say like, you know, we're all talking about addressing inequities, but you know, for some of us, that means we're going to have to give up something. And for the front of house, it does mean we're going to give up something. I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't. And the front of house here is not making less than they were, but they are working um, several hours more to achieve it. The same hours that our back of house um, works to achieve it as well. And everyone here isn't making the same pay. And everyone here is happy to um, can tr to support that value in our business. And I'm really lucky is all I can say. And I know that some people, have, I was in this meeting and somebody asked one of us um, who already had, um, has gone for gone tipping for several years now in her business. And um, they're like, well, what if your staff leaves? And she's like, you'll find better staff and like better staff that believe in what you're doing and those staff will be more invested in your business and in their jobs. And um, I like, I could not agree more with that statement. It's, um, you know, the hospitality industry can feel very transient when it comes to employees. And, um, and I'm proud to say that most of the people that have worked with us have worked with us for since the beginning or at least over a year. And it's because they believe in the things that we're doing um, on every level. Yeah. I mean, in regards to that, because as someone who's worked at a restaurant that did away with gratuity and tipping, um, how are you, how are they being compensated? Is this kind of based on seniority then, or is there still kind of positions? Cause I think I read something about a shared leadership um, kitchen team as well. So how does that work in terms of payouts? 
Um, so, you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic and it's really, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it can, that grows as we, as a, hopefully a restaurant, you know, grow in business. But for right now, we, um, everybody's being paid the same across the board. Um, so, um, all of our front of house is being paid the same as our back of house. Um, and, um, our back of house, um, they, our chef and our, she came to me and she's like, I, before we reopen and she's like, I really want to reopen with this structure that is, um, less about hierarchical hierarchy, um, in terms of decision-making and responsibilities and more of this, like, um, almost built like on a sociocratic model where everybody has equal say and, um, and so we reopened and we, you know, again, this almost feels like it could be, I'm like achieved in like, because we have such a small staff, but um, I am exploring and talk models of like how it works in slightly larger organizations. Um, but yeah, the, our entire kitchen team is all like equal footing and they do everything together. Um, they create the menu, they share purchasing responsibilities. Um, they're also all accountable in an equal way to making sure our costs are in line and, you know, they all clean up together and it's, it's working for us. Um, and, and yeah, everybody is, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's, it's, everybody's happy and I was actually thinking today about I was listening to another podcast this morning when I was getting ready for work and um just thinking about like um still holding myself accountable to our staff and um at the beginning of quarantine I through a collaboration with a few other restaurant owners in town we created a survey for our staff to help identify like the best ways we could support them um, in acknowledgement that we are as owners and power holders are not necessarily representative of the people that we're trying to help. And so we wanted to make sure that they were dictating the ways in which we could support them. And I was, I was thinking this morning, I was like, oh, I should really build in a, build out a survey for my staff here that could be anonymous if they wanted um, to understand like how like safe they feel um, and how like as obviously the priority, but also like an other, you know, maybe build into that, like, you know, just a typical, like that typical like staff check-in you have with people that's not, you know, um, unheard of in restaurants, but um, like, are we as restaurant owners checking in on their safety? And it's sometimes hard, I think, even with a staff as close as we are, um, and to have those conversations. Um, and so I feel like the surveys were really successful for me and other owners um, at the beginning of quarantine and maybe using that same model to check in with them um, now that we're back open um, and try to understand like, what does safety mean to them? And are we, are we fulfilling, are we meeting those standards and how can we be better? Cause I don't want to just assume that, that we're doing the right thing or we're doing a good job. But I think it's important to have like a feedback loop. And I think 
one of the one of the things that I didn't enjoy about a particular place that I worked at was there was no um, circling bed, there was no coffee chat as as some places call it, or that check in as you had mentioned because it just kind of makes it seem like you're just a cog in in a machine, you know. And I know you know that there's certainly restaurants that are like that, right? Where you're just part of the system, and if you're out, they'll find someone else, and you're not you're not really valued and these are just ways for employers, owners to genuinely kind of ask and, and, and hopefully change things. So I think that's really great on your part. Um, in terms of right now, you know, I'm anxious. I'm sure you're anxious. I'm sure everyone is anxious about what's going on, but how do you channel that into, cause you had, you had mentioned this elsewhere. How do you channel that into, how do you channel anxiety into productivity? Cause you had started another project uh, called Outlook Good and put out a, a e-recipe book, Optimistic Cocktails. Like, how are you? I mean, is that how you stay sane in a way or by staying busy or? It I'm definitely kind of is. It helps me to have structure, um, like project oriented. I guess, well, I'll take one step back and say that owning a restaurant, there is very little structure in your life because everything's like just just wild all the time. And um, <laughs> um, even though we have set hours, it's there's just, you know, I got a plumber coming this day and, you know, uh, like all this stuff is happening. And so being like very project oriented here at the restaurant when in terms of what I'm getting done, but also um, in my other passions, like my other side hustles, um, gives me structure and gives me focus. And it's definitely a way that I keep myself balanced, um, or keep the imbalance, <laughs> I should say, um, like a little bit, um, moving, moving forward at the very least. But, um, yeah, so I try to, you know, stay project oriented and, um, and busy and again, it's like not, I have, you know, people are always like, gosh, you do so much. I'm like, I feel like I sleep a lot too now. And I watch a lot of TV and I get stoned so much <laughs> when I get home. And so I'm, and I'm like, you know, I've gotten some beach time even this summer. So I don't know where I'm pulling these hours out of the day, but I, um, you know, it's, I'm just like chugging along. I'm like really, um, you know, somebody had asked me in an interview recently, like, what is one ad word or adjective to describe yourself? And I said, curious. And I think that that's what drives me because a lot of the stuff I end up sharing or working on, it doesn't necessarily, sure, like some of the sustainability stuff comes from um, this knowledge and, uh, that I've acquired through research and um, due diligence over the years, but it's ultimately because these are things that I'm curious about because I want to know more and I want to um, learn more about it and understand it better. And so that's what drives me and um, and makes all of this like a little bit more fun and engaging for myself. Like it's not just about checking things off a list. It's, I really, really want to know this stuff and I want to, and I want to share it as much as possible. Yeah. I think that shift in mentality, like it shows, it shows in the bar and it shows in your staff too, right? If 
if you come from that kind of a place. Um, before I send you off as kind of a last question for you, uh, I know this, this could be, uh, you know, you could take it wherever you want, but I'm just curious to hear about your general outlook about our industry uh, ahead. I mean, to be honest, I'm pretty scared. Um, I think that our, and I know that like, I mean, I've always like tried to approach things from a very optimistic point of view, but um, so this is a little bit more um, stark from perspective for me, but uh, I'm scared. I think our government, local, state, and now and federal has really failed us as an industry. Um, I think the generations of restaurant owners um, before myself have really failed us in being organized and um, advocating for our businesses and and for our workers' rights. And that is being directly seen right now because like our government officials are like, who are you? Like when did restaurant owners get organized? And um, and so the, the people that have been our successors in this industry have failed us. And um, in, ha- in have giving our industry a voice. And that's why we are right now, we are two steps behind, if not more than where we should be in advocating for support of our industry um, and the people that work in this industry. Um, and then in general, you know, trickling down from that is that a lot of places are going to close. Um, and those that don't close are operating on a lot more slimmer margins than before, which means that they're adjusting their models that have less staff and there's just going to be less jobs out there in general. And so I'm really, really worried about um, our workforce that won't have jobs to come back to or um, whether they want to or whether they don't. I just think it's going to be a very scary time um, coming back from this or adjusting from this new normal to this new normal in the many months and years to come. And I know that sounds terrible. (laughs) Not a great way to leave leave this conversation, but um, it is. And uh, the more that people start like really coming to terms with that, hopefully the more that we can start thinking about, like forward thinking about how we can be actionable, how can we, um, you know, this quarantine, you know, March, mid-March when all the, when the country shut down and we laid off all of our employees, that's, that might not be just a, a, a fluke. That could be, you know, something that we really need to be thinking about in terms of the pandemic, in terms of climate change. Like these are things that we need to be preparing for um, in a real way. Um, And that doesn't start tomorrow. It should have started many years ago. So at the very least, we need to come to terms with it so we can start right this second to start preparing for our businesses, for our communities, for our employees. We just, we, there's no time to sit around and, and wait anymore. And so 
I hope that that is inspiring and not terrifying <laughs> to think about, but um, yeah, you know, give yourself a, some time with that <laughs> and then, you know, get moving. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. No, I, 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 that really captured everything and personally how I felt as someone who has been, I mean, this is all I know as well. Yeah. I went to school for this. I'm still paying off my student loans for this. You know, I'm going to have to figure out a way to do that too. But the, for a long time, I just kind of sat around and hoping that it would fly over. Right. Cause I didn't know the severity of it. A lot of us did it. No one really, no one even knows how, what this is still to this day. But I think we can't, like you said, I think we just can't wait around anymore for things to happen. You know, it's, it's, it's come to my realization that we just, we have to do it ourselves and now there's not going to be any sort of help anytime soon. So I, I honestly appreciate you saying this because I think people, I think a lot of people are still in denial, not to be honest with you. And oh, so many, in so you know many I mean? ways. And yeah. Like we have to come, we, this is, we're here. This is, this is right now. Like we're in it. Like there is no looking back anymore. It's only now and, and, and hopefully tomorrow. So I appreciate you saying that. Cause I don't, I can't tell you how many people need to hear that. And especially with, even if you're an owner or, or, or anyone that depends on this industry for your livelihood, like myself, um, we all just have to kind of come to terms with it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I still very much appreciate you sharing uh, everything and especially the last intimate too. But um, it was great chatting with you, getting to know you a little bit more and um, definitely we'll be back soon for another cocktail. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. I'll be here. That's um, very lucky that the one thing I can lean into right now is making drinks and it's the thing that actually gives me the most happiness so um we're here um chugging along as much as possible so please come by as we close out here i just wanted to thank claire for her time her insights and if you haven't heard of or been to hunky dory if you find yourself in the crown heights neighborhood if you live there or if you have friends there i definitely would recommend checking out the bar and since this interview since we last spoke claire has followed through with what she said she was going to do and converted her indoor space into a retail space she still has ample room outside though for outdoor dining if you're looking for a place to hang out i think this is it so uh, do please do check out hunky dory and support her business if you can i think that she is such a, a thoughtful owner and operator and she really does care about the well-being of her staff and how she how she, and, 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 and the well-being of her staff I think really dictates her business decisions and not the other way around and I was very happy to hear that during our conversation so um, she's definitely someone I, I would vouch for and get behind and I hope you get a chance to check out Hungry Dory maybe say hi to Claire as well if you're there um, again this has been Arnold with Warm Welcome and I'll see you next time.